This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My question for you today is, who do you look up to? I want you to just get that in your mind. You don't have to shout it out. Who is it that you look up to? So if there's a person that just captivates uh, your energy, your attention, because the truth is today it's a 24-7 battle to get that attention. So you may have a person you look up to, but people are competing. Print media, social media, television, ads, radio, they all want to get that spot in your life. They want to be the person that you look up to or look to uh, to try to get uh, attention. They want to make sure that it's there, and they want to make sure the information is all now, now, now. Just, they want to they get you with where that is. So my question to you when you think about a person who's in front of you, when is the last time you got a text message alert from the Apostle Paul? Did you guys get any radio announcements to tell you how the church was combating disease and caring for the sick during the exodus? Did any of you get that blast this week? Did you guys get that? That email did not reach you. Did any of you get the message about how families have cared for each other for hundreds of years in the first few centuries of the church and that they cared for each other even as Rome was persecuting them? Did that message get to you? It's interesting, isn't it? None of that got to you. How many of you heard things that truthfully won't mean anything to you two weeks from now last week and you were really, really, like they were important to you? Anyone willing to admit it seemed really important when you, yeah. And you had to tell someone immediately. But think about the things that you weren't hearing. You weren't hearing about the big shifts, the seismic things that God was doing, relaying to us in the scriptures. So here we are this morning, reading from Ecclesiastes. Another text, just as we last week looked at Proverbs, Solomon's still writing to us, giving more to us this morning, inviting you to step out of your now, 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 now world and step into God's world that says, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. And that even as all the world's shifting around you, I won't shift. After all, we serve an unchanging God in a changing world. And man, the world moves faster and faster every single day that we're set there. Did anyone tweet out anything this week about King Solomon? Anyone? You guys get any tweets from Solomon just letting you know what he's thinking? Nope. Anyone hear a tweet that they just wish they hadn't heard, even though you don't have a Twitter account, somehow you still heard about it? Yeah. I'm just letting you know who is influencing you and why, is probably a good question, why do you let that tweet matter so much to you? Why do you care? What is it that's actually getting your attention? I mean, after all, someone can only influence you if they know that they can get to you. Remember the bully growing up? Bullies only have power when you give them what? Attention. Now, trust me, I know they can push you. I've been pushed over by bullies. Turns out you still fall the same speed whether or not you give them attention or not. There's something about gravity in there. Like, my body was still going to fall over. But boy, when you give them the attention, it, it feeds it. Solomon is stepping into our lives this morning, and he wants to help draw us out from that. Now, Solomon, you may recall, is who? He is the second child of Bathsheba and King David. 
So he's the second because the first is actually what? The first is dead because of the sin with which David actually engaged him with Bathsheba. That first child actually died. Uh, there are prices for sin. There really are. Uh, sometimes we struggle with, oh, just forgive me. Well, God will ultimately forgive, but at times there is still punishment. So the fact that Solomon's the second is a clear sign that there was some struggle in that family. There were some challenges uh, set there. So from this perspective, we now have Solomon later in his life writing to us about how life looks. What is it that he actually sees? And it puts the wisdom of human experience up against God's wisdom of human experience. So my question for you in his perspective, Solomon writes, and his perspective is he's going to write to you about every single thing underneath the what? Those of you who read Ecclesiastes, I'm writing about all the things under the? Good, yes. Now I know a couple of you read, so the pastor's heart is warmed. So all things under the sun. I mean, literally, if it's under the sun, Solomon's writing about it. How many of you lived under the sun this week? He was like, catch me on a technicality. How many of you believe that there was a fiery, burny ball somewhere, maybe hidden by a cloud, and you were still underneath of it? A few holdouts. That's fine. We'll just let you hold out for a bit. Point is, Solomon's writing to all of you about these experiences. So Solomon's got you in mind as he writes. So if you have your book, open up, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And as we head there, we get a phrase. I talked about this a little bit more in depth in the Bible class just a few minutes ago, but I want to unpack it a little. The phrase in the King James as well as the English Standard that we're currently using here in our congregation will translate as vanity of vanities. The New International Version refers to it as utterly meaningless. To give you a quick on it, it's really this idea of trying to chase wind. You'll hear that phrase many times, a chasing after the wind. It's like the cat trying to get its tail, right? Humorous to watch, but somewhat sad to watch at the same time. You're like, you're never going to get it. And then when you do it, what? Pops out, you know? Cat catches it, you're like, yay, they got it, gone. Same thing. It's this idea of how it is that we go in life, that we're just chasing after this thing that we can never fully get our hands on. We get it, and then it's gone. It's fleeting. It's temporary. So when you talk about vanity of vanities, it's not just someone who wants to make their face look pretty and all dolled up. Uh, And it's not always the extreme of utterly meaningless, meaning that there is no purpose at all. It's some of the things that we do. And we're going to let Solomon unpack that for us in our journey together through the Scriptures. So here we go, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. (laughs) Talk about a pick-me-up for a sermon. So I hated life. Like, really? That's where you start? So I hated life. Get ready. Solomon writes this, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity, a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my knowledge under the sun. This also is vanity. Man. Well, if that doesn't equalize all the work you've done to build up your kingdom, get your retirement nest egg all set, you're ready, this is great, and you end up Something happens and something changes in your life and and unfortunately you pass early. And then guess what? You get to make no more decisions. Someone's like, yes, but don't worry. I have it all figured out in my will. It's all going to go where I want it. It might get in the pile where you say you want the pile to be, but what someone does with the pile, yeah, but I'm giving it all to charity. Do you trust the charity to do everything right? I'm not trying to speak ill of charity. I'm just letting you know, I mean, things happen. The point is you can do all the planning you want 
and then you die. You're like, well, that pick me up. Thanks for this, Pastor. Maybe we could kind of jump over uh, and see where we are in this place. So I hated life. Why? He hated life because he didn't understand if he was toiling, 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 working, 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 and then it ended. Someone after him is going to pick up the pieces. How many of you like the business world? Just in general, like you just enjoy watching how things move and shake. Anyone like Triangle Business Journal? Just reading what's happening, just to see. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you're chasing after big money. You just like seeing things move. Yeah. Like some of you are like, I can't say that. No, I'm not saying you're trying to chase wealth. I'm saying you're intrigued by how businesses move. How many of you are familiar with a company named GE? Okay. A couple of you are familiar with that. How many of you know the name Jack Welsh? Okay. How many of you know Jack Welsh because you've been either forced, encouraged, or told that you had to read something Jack Welsh wrote? Yeah. See, Jack Welsh wrote lots of stuff about business management. But Jack Welsh makes a Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy, a really big decision uh, in the early 2000s. And he makes what is perhaps the biggest and most important decision of his entire life in business world. Anyone know what that decision is? He names Jeff Immelt to be his successor and CEO. It is the worst decision, some have said, that he makes in his entire life. Of every decision Jack Welch has ever made, that is the one. He chose the wrong successor. And ever since 2001, GE has imploded, exploded, and fallen. And some of you are like, I know, you're just reminding me about my retirement plan. <laughs> no, I had GE stock. I bring it up because he had a successor, and here's, I mean, think about this. In Ecclesiastes, you get the picture of how hard it is once I pass. I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Welsh leaves everything he built to the man who comes after him, and Welsh is still living. So imagine watching Everything you built deteriorate and disappear because the person who you hand-selected gets it wrong again and again and again. So if you're sitting there going, Ecclesiastes doesn't connect to real life, ask Jack. He'd prop, well, whether or not he's going to say it publicly, he's made some statements about whether or not that's been the best decision for him. But Welsh's answer of succession planning. Somebody's like, oh, okay, so Ecclesiastes is really about succession planning. No, that's not really what Solomon's writing about. Solomon's writing about if you don't understand the bigger picture, you'll get hung up on this, and you may just figure it's about making sure that my business gets into the right hands. That's not it at all. Now, for some of you, when you read Solomon and you read this reading in Ecclesiastes, you are hung up in the year 19. 60, mid-60s, 60, 63, 65, and Pete Seeger's just singing to you what? To everything. Okay, we, can do, we can do better. To everything. Turn, turn. There is a season. <laughs> we are not going to have a road show, just so you guys know. Uh, and don't worry, that's where it stops. I won't make you go back to it. But for others, that's your gateway. You have into Ecclesiastes because Seeger told you turn, turn, and then a couple of you are like, well, is that in there? No, the turn, turn part he adds. Pretty much everything else is just drawn right out of the book. But he gets the theme of what? Turning is what? A chasing after the a wind. That was just Seeger's kind of take on it where he's just, hey, you know, kind of catching it for him. He catches uh, the melody uh, that drives forward of, of life just always moving. Now listen to this. This is chapter 3, so right after Seeger kind of draws the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 3, I'm just going to read it to you, verse 14 and 15 of Ecclesiastes 3. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. 
nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. You see, God's going to bring back regardless of whether or not you bring it back. The idea that I'm going to do something for God, well, that's true. You may be being God's hands and feet, but God was always the mover. God was the one who was initiating and doing and caring and keeping. Well, Solomon's going to guard us a little bit more as we move. Jump to Ecclesiastes 5. So I know where you're sitting there in 1, uh, enlightened a little of 3. So you've got uh, turn, 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 the seasons of life uh, as it changes. But this is chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Sometimes we've gotten pretty laid back in our approach of God's house these days. Uh, as if God's just someone that I can mellow out with. It may be a place where you can certainly unlock yourself to God in prayer and letting him know, but it's still God's house. Uh, it's still his place. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, you know, my great uncle, when he died, he built that church. Did he now? Well, yeah, no, he did. He donated all the money to it. He actually laid the bricks. Okay. But did he really build the church? The church is built not on bricks and mortar and stone and rock. It is built on the word of God, of which we may be able to bring some of those things in. And yes, some of you are like, yeah, but it takes dollars and cents. You're killing a building campaign, pastor. No, I'm not. No campaign works unless it's founded first on God's word. You've got to get that right, and then the rest will actually move forward. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. See, the fool says, I'm just going to give my, my money, my share, my treasure. I'm, I'm going to do that. I, I've helped the church, and now I'm going to go off and do whatever I need to. That's the fool's sacrifice. Man, there's a lot of people who just give that sacrifice. And when it comes to doing anything that God actually asks of them, they're as far as left field is from right field. You're like, well, that's not that far. Okay, home plate, from third to home plate. You ever tried to make that run? It's longer than you think. Really long. And professional baseball players can throw really, really fast. You ever actually sit on the baseline and watch how fast that ball comes in? Very different than when I was playing as a kid. You guys ever go to a batting cage? Did you ever go to fast pitch batting cage? I went once. Never went back in the fast one. Always went back to the slow pitch softball. I was like, that's right. Just so friends could see me, and I'm just knocking them out of the park. They're like, what are you doing? Then they'd see. They're like, slow pitch. They knew. I was okay with it. There's this piece of realizing God's got us together. Don't be the fool. No, God's calling us. It continues. Do not be rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven. See, we're getting some ordering of things, right? God's in heaven and you're on, you're on earth. He's in heaven and you're not. Therefore, let your words be few. Man, we are not often few of words. These are tough things when you're a, a preacher and a teacher. You get a text like this and they're like, preach on it. Really? So preach on few words. Some of you are like, yes. End now. I'm close. I'm close. See, let it be few because we hear the echo 
of Deuteronomy 6.4. As we start to hear again the Old Testament calling us back and back. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Hear. It's about hearing. Our first task is to listen to God, not tell God what we think. Listen first. You remember being the kid that spoke more than your parents probably wanted to hear? Some of you are like, no, but my sibling was. That's fine. Someone in your household was the talker. Could have been you and some kids in here are going, it's my dad. He's the talker. Someone's like, it's my mom, but I can't say it. It's Mother's Day. Don't say it. Don't. You'd be like, pastor told me. No, he did not. He did not say that. We want easy answers. We want quick reading. Ecclesiastes 8. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow before he does not fear before God. You guys ever play shadows as a kid? Remember just kind of doing that? Maybe you guys didn't. <laughs> you're like, Pastor, you're just weird. So you guys never like walked with someone, you saw a shadow, and then you do this. <laughs> you step on the shadow, and you see him go over, and you say, I'm stepping on your head. I'm stepping on your head. I'm jumping on you. Well, I want you to think about these shadows as to what it is, because it's life. And Solomon's actually inviting you to remember that childhood game, because he's talking about the shadows in our lives. Listen again. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. So you know how shadows work. They're pointing in one direction in the morning and another at night. But in an instant, in an instant, the shadow is gone. The moment the sun sets, it's done doesn't come back. Now, you're like, we'll come back to play tomorrow. I know, but Solomon's drawing from another place. He says, like a shadow, like a shadow that can no longer, a shadow that can get longer and longer as the sun sets, it's fleeting. When the sun sets, it's gone. The long life of the wicked is an illusion. It is a complete illusion. It is an illusion that disappears in the light of God's judgment. Don't miss that. Oh, yeah, but they're doing great. They're do- Indeed. And it looks long as that shadow gets longer, but most of you realize a shadow's only long. Some of you are like, well, I know the science behind the length of a shadow, Pastor. I know. We all know enough shadow knowledge to understand what that is. But that's what Solomon's writing about the fool. It's just an illusion. God's judgment will draw them right back. It draws them right back to realize they didn't have all the stuff they thought they had. Please don't hear me say that Jack Welsh is a bad guy. I'm just letting you know Jack seemingly had it all, and they watched it fall apart. I don't know everything about Jack Welsh's heart in other places, and that's not why I'm bringing him up. I'm bringing it up to let you know Ecclesiastes talks about real people and real things and real decisions. This text means something to us today, and then it ends. It's this challenge, challenge, challenge for chapter after chapter after chapter, and then you get summation, the end of the matter. See, this is the part where people who wanted the cliff notes and go, I didn't have a chance to read Ecclesiastes. All right, then wake up. Here it is. So if you're kind of like, man, it's got long. You got long-winded, few words, pastor, and you chose long words in a few-word sermon. Okay. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. The echo back to chapter 8. The echo back to the long shadow. God's watching it all. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. But God's got more going on in your life than just that. 
We have to remain focused on the one duty God has for us. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. And a fear of God for us is a reverent fear. It's the reminder, just as I told the kids, that there is, on the cross when you look to it, cloth. Because he's not there, he left that behind. Christ ascended, and when he ascended and that cloth remained, we're reminded that God has taken care of the commandments for you. You have no judgment to fear. Judgment's a good thing for you. Because when God looks at you and judges you, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He sees only you. You are covered now with that exact same cloth. It is the righteousness of Christ that you put on, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27, all who have been baptized in Christ put on his righteousness. You get to put on that gown every single day. Ecclesiastes isn't heavy text for you. Ecclesiastes is actually a reminder, man, if life's been tough to you, it's all right, your God's tougher. If life's been hard to you, your God is seasoned. Your God is ready. Life is not meaningless. Life is not all vanity. Life without God is meaningless. Life without God is all vanity. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we are neither meaningless nor is our life in vain. Praise be to Christ. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.